We go now to the word, to hear God's word from the book of Philippians, chapter 1. I'll be reading from the New International Version, and the words will be on screen. Though, as always, I do invite you to open a pew Bible or a device to read it sometime. I also encourage you at some time in the next few weeks to sit down with the book of Philippians and read it all the way through, or maybe listen to an audio version on your phone or on the internet. It takes about 15 minutes to read the whole book or to listen to it, and then you can get the whole picture of what Paul is saying to the church. And then as we go through it bit by bit, you'll, you'll kind of get a sense of where we're headed and what the overall message is for God's people. Philippians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because, of, uh, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy or rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A decade from now, I'd like to sit down and write a letter to you all, like this letter of Philippians that Paul wrote to the church, this joyful, loving letter, a letter that remembers our partnership together in the gospel from the very first days. You know, how, how we went through the hard times of the pandemic together, uh, how we visited one another over the years, how we supported the work of the gospel both here and far away. And it would be a, a happy letter to write and to read. And then I thought, you know, wh why wait a decade? Why not read Philippians now and, and see what God's word is for us today? 
And every spring for the past three or four years, I've been following a preaching series that always pairs one of Paul's letters with the book of Acts to see how the early church worked out the mission of the gospel in the world. And this year, the book is Philippians. Now, according to the preaching plan, we're only going to do a couple weeks in Philippians, but I thought, why not do the whole book from now until the last Sunday that I am with you at the end of June? And the goal of Philippians is to show how the good news goes out to the world, how it goes out through the work of the church, and is this culmination of the big story of God that we've seen all along, how it begins with creation, how God made his revelation to the people of Israel, how the prophets pointed to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, how Jesus comes and reveals himself in the flesh as the I am. And, uh, and then we've seen how the resurrection works out through the, the life of witnesses like Mary and Paul, people who go out into the world and give witness and preach the good news of the gospel. And now we come to one of the first churches that Paul founded, one of the first Gentile churches out in the faraway town of Philippi. And Paul had this special relationship with Philippi. He had this relationship like many pastors do with the, their first church. It's a loving and joyful relationship. They kept in touch over the years. They supported each other. They supported his mission work, and he continually wrote to them and encouraged them. They sent visitors to support him and take care of him when he was in prisoner. It's no wonder this church meant a lot to him. And it's no wonder that Paul wrote them this joyful, happy letter, this loving letter of Philippians. One scholar sums up the whole letter in two words. He says, two forceful verbs. I rejoice, says Paul. Now you must rejoice. I rejoice, now you rejoice. And the whole letter is full of joy from the Thanksgiving section here at the beginning all the way to the very end of it. And it is joy formed in suffering. You see, Paul is imprisoned for Christ, for preaching Christ. And this is not the first time he's been in prison. We know that he suffered in Philippi, in that very town, from the very beginning. A few weeks ago, we heard the story about how Paul ended up in Philippi, how the Spirit sent him beyond his normal territory in the Jewish area of, of Turkey, across the ocean, over to Europe, to Greece, where he began to preach the word to Gentiles. And there, as he, as he went from city to city, he was kicked out and ended up in the hyper-patriotic town of Philippi. Now, Philippi was this town that had been created out of nothing, out of thin air. The, the Roman Empire was trying to reward his faithful soldiers and their families, the, the most patriotic, loyal legions of the empire. And so he took them uh, and he planted them across the ocean from, from Italy in Greece. And they created this town of Philippi. Now, Philippi was uh, like a soldier's town. It was a, a veteran's town, and everyone loved the emperor and worshipped him. And that's where God sends Paul. And he sends Paul to this town where there is no Jewish synagogue. There's just this under-the-radar gathering of faithful, God-loving women who meet by a river outside of town every Sabbath to encourage one another and to pray. And that's where Paul goes to preach the gospel at first. He preaches to them, and, and many of those faithful women turn to Jesus. They hear the good news of what Jesus has done, that he is Lord and Messiah, and they believe. One of the first ones to believe is Lydia, this wealthy merchant who come, goes on to host and lead that early church in her own home. Paul and Silas also attracted some negative attention as they were in Philippi. There was this slave girl who followed after them every day when they walked around town, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. She was telling the truth. 
by this spirit of divination that was in her. But she was annoying Paul and Silas, and so Paul cast the demon out of her, and they got in trouble for that. They got in trouble with the authorities and with the owners of that slave girl, and they ended up before the magistrates, and they were accused of of being troublemakers. They were accused even worse of being Jews, And, and they were accused, worst of all, in a Roman town of being against the emperor. And Paul and Silas were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were in chains in this cell in Philippi. And an earthquake burst their cell open that night. And the jailer was about to kill himself for fear that all of his prisoners were gone and he had failed at his job. And Paul told him not to do that because they were all there. And then he told the jailer about Jesus, this faithful, loyal servant of the emperor. He told him that Jesus Christ is the true Lord, not Caesar. And the jailer believed. And so did his whole household. And that very night, they were baptized. And Paul and Silas, before morning, went back to their cell, this time not in chains. And they, they didn't make the jailer quit his job or free all the prisoners. No, they went back and waited for the official word that they could leave town. And on the way, they, on the way out, they encouraged that little church in Lydia's house and then, and then left. And it's not clear from the scriptures that Paul ever made it back to Philippi after that first time. But he kept in touch with them over the years. He may have left Luke behind with them that first time. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, stayed with them to encourage the church and to teach them what it means to follow Jesus. And then Paul kept on sending messengers and letters back and forth with the church of Philippi. They supported his mission work for over a decade. And when they heard that he was in prison near the end of his life, imprisoned in Rome, they sent Epaphroditus with money to care for Paul. See, Paul is in prison again when he writes Philippians. He's in prison for preaching Christ, and it's not clear from the letter where he is in prison. We, we presume, traditionally speaking, that he was in Rome near the end of his life, waiting for the emperor's sentence. Uh, we don't know that for sure because Paul does not say that, but it's a pretty good guess. And, and we know that Paul spent a long time in Rome, several years. Some of the time he was in house arrest. He had some freedom of movement. He could get around and go places as long as he was watched by the soldiers. But it seems by the time he writes Philippians that the situation has gotten worse. He is in chains, he says more than once. He is in a situation where his freedom has gotten worse. He is suffering in prison, and, and the situation may even be a life and death one. The outcome of his case could be complete freedom, that he's set free and sent away, but it very well could be that he dies in Rome. And he's being guarded by the most elite Roman prison guards, the the palace guards, the praetorians, and they start hearing the gospel from him. And some of them hear the good news about Jesus, and they start proclaiming Jesus' name. Jesus is Lord, but others probably shout the name of Jesus out as a a threat, as a taunt, as an insult. You're in chains for Jesus? It, It doesn't bother me, says Paul. Either way, the name of Jesus is being proclaimed. As long as Christ Jesus is on people's lips, Paul rejoices. And he rejoices because he knows the gospel is being preached. By him, uh, through these letters and through the visitors that come to see him, by friends and and, uh, supporters and loving churches, and yes, even by troublemakers and self-promoters and rivals who are out to take advantage of Paul's absence. None of that matters, he says, as long as Christ is preached. And what brings Paul the most joy of all is when the Philippians are partners in that gospel. 
And it's this partnership, he says, that began on the first day, that day when Paul first preached to them in Philippi, and it continues until this moment with Paul in prison and the Philippians out there preaching the gospel. Now, that that word for this partnership of the gospel is koinonia. It's this word that we often translate to mean togetherness or fellowship, but it means a, a lot more here. It's something a lot more like a business partnership. It means that from the moment they first believed, the Philippians uh, bought shares or were given shares in this gospel project, paid for by the blood of Jesus. And now they have an interest in it. They have a share in it. They believe and they work for it, and their faith is working itself out in love. They are cooperating with Christ toward this uh, mission of the gospel, uh, spreading the good news. And they see the benefits of it, just like the other membership partners do too. And they work for it. Now the first partner is Jesus, of course. And uh, he is the one who got the ball rolling. And Paul is confident that Jesus will continue this good work that he began in them. That he will bring it about in the fullness of Christ's kingdom. And Paul lays out what that means that he has them in his heart, and that they have him in theirs, is this partnership that's born out of love and mutual respect. And it doesn't matter what Paul is doing, whether he is in chains or whether he's out there preaching, this partnership will go on. It's through, through this gospel kingdom partnership that all will receive God's grace. It's by grace that we've been saved after all. And Paul longs for them. He wants to be with them. He has this gut feeling or desire to to be together that comes from being in Christ Jesus. And that leads Paul to prayer. And this prayer has has several parts to it. First, Paul prays for their love. They already have it. This love for Christ, this love for him, love for one another. But he prays that that love may increase that the love may overflow, that it may abound, that it may have the fullness of God. But this love, curiously, is not so much a feeling as it is a fact. It is based in knowledge, he says. They know Christ. They know the scriptures. They know Paul. So they will have more and more depth of insight. They'll be able to see what it means that Jesus died and rose again. They'll know the scriptures point to him. They'll give witness how Jesus Christ changes lives and cultures and towns and cities here and now. So the first thing Paul does is pray for love. Second, Paul prays for discernment. This discernment flows from their love and from their knowledge in this this series of arrows in my head. It's that love leads to knowledge, leads to discernment. And they will know how to discern the Spirit. They'll know how to follow what God wants them to do. They'll be able to discern the signs of their times, the the ways that culture and life point away from God or, or towards Jesus and find ways to point themselves and other people toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll be discerning. They'll be wise people that know the ways of God. And this will all lead, Paul says, to purity. They'll be kept blameless for the day of Christ. They'll be filled with this fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ in them. And that is grace indeed. And all of this gives glory and praise to God. So first, Paul prays for love. Then he prays for discernment. And finally, Paul prays, uh, prays for joy in suffering. He points to his joy. He knows with absolute certainty that this imprisonment for preaching the gospel of Christ is the right thing. And notice that double meaning. He is imprisoned for preaching the gospel of Christ. That means he is imprisoned because he preached Jesus Christ, 
But it also means that he is imprisoned so that he can preach Jesus Christ more. And this is already happening with the palace guard. It's already happening with the people around him in in the local church in Rome. It's already happening all across the Mediterranean as little house churches pop up in places where the gospel is preached. And it's happening in Philippi. Paul is in chains and he still the gospel is preached. And the name of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and more and more people call Jesus their Lord. And all of this is an occasion for joy for Paul. And Jesus invites us to this same kind of gospel partnership too. Whether you're just hearing the good news for the first time or whether you've lived it out your whole life, that invitation from Jesus stands. Paul and Jesus and the Philippians had a good partnership going, and so can we. And it begins when we realize that Jesus invites us to share in him, to be a part of his death and his life, his saving and his suffering, his rising and his sending out. And and the theme word of the book of Philippians very well could be in Christ. It, it, It shows up everywhere in the book. From the very beginning, Paul greets them with grace and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And and in a few weeks, we'll hear the the Christ hymn from chapter 2, which lays out in detail what Jesus did. The Philippians are in Christ, and so are all who believe in him. But the other word that uh, characterizes Philippians is joy. It's a, a joy that comes from the work of the gospel in them and the way they have been partners with the gospel from the very beginning. And I'd like to take a moment to read that Thanksgiving prayer part, that first section of the letter again. This time I'll read it from the message version. And it'll sound a little bit like a letter written to you from your dear pastor from long ago. And as I read it, I realize I'm putting myself in Paul's shoes, and I know I'm nothing like Paul, though I hope to imitate him in imitating Christ. Anyway, hear this letter to you from Paul. To all the followers of Jesus in Ellsworth, pastors and ministers and servants and deacons included, we greet you with grace and peace that comes from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God, and each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I am so pleased that you have continued on in this with us, believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you first heard it right up unto the present. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God, who started this great work in you, would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day that Jesus Christ appears. It's not at all fanciful for me to think this way about you. My prayers and hopes have deep roots in reality. You have, after all, stuck with me all the way from the time I was thrown in jail, put on trial, and came out in one piece And all along, you have experienced with me the most generous help from God. He knows how much I love and miss you these days. And sometimes I feel so strongly, as strongly about you as Christ himself does. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but love well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not a sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, 
bountiful in those gifts that come from fruits of the soul by the Spirit, making Jesus Christ attractive to all and getting everyone involved in glory and praise of God. Amen. This gospel partnership that Paul talks about is this partnership of mutual affection and love. And Paul prays that their love may abound with knowledge and insight. And it's this partnership of work, too, of discernment and purity and and faithfulness. We all can proclaim the gospel wherever we are, whenever we can. And it may begin with a a short acquaintance, just three and a half years uh, before I leave to go preach the gospel in Zuni, New Mexico. But it is a partnership that can extend over many years, over decades, even all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ's kingdom. And we are partners in the gospel, partners with Christ. As long as the true gospel is preached, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who lived and died, who rose again and who changes everything, and then... All the better. We preach Christ all the more. So preach Christ, my dear friends of Jesus. Preach Christ. Whatever the reason may be, whatever you say to others, he he saved me, he loves me, he knows me, he frees me. Proclaim Jesus Christ and rejoice. Rejoice when people hear and, and, and call and proclaim the name of Jesus in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus Christ, we want to see you proclaimed. We want to proclaim you with our lips and hear others call on your name too. And we hear you invite us to this partnership in the gospel, to this union and fellowship with you through what you've done for us. And we respond to your call by your Spirit prompting us. You prompt us to give witness to what you've done to what we've seen you do. And and we pray that by your Spirit you continue to call others too to respond to that witness and to speak the name of Jesus, to preach him, to proclaim him, to love him and know him. Help us to do that wherever we are, to see how, how loving more can lead to more knowledge and insight and discernment and purity and grace, and above all, that Jesus Christ may be preached. And whether our, our, our motives are pure and perfect or faulty and fallen, we know that, that you, by your Spirit, are taking the true word of Jesus Christ and proclaiming it all around for all to hear. Help us to be faithful preachers of the gospel. I pray for, for this congregation that you may continually spur in us a, a love of Jesus and a, a willingness to go out and to preach his name. We pray this in, by the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.